And as we turn back to Habakkuk chapter 1, I have on this piece of card one of the most useful phrases that you can use in English, one of the most useful sentences in the English language, a sentence that you can use in lots of different situations for lots of different reasons. The sentence, I'm fine. It's a very useful sentence to know. You think about it. You could be having the best day of your life, filled with lots of joy. Everything's just going perfectly. And when someone asks you how you are, you can just say, yeah, I'm fine. And equally, you could be having a really awful day where everything is going wrong. And when someone asks you how you are, you can just say, I'm fine. And in fact, later on today, when after the service, I ask you all how you are, Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstances, all of you know the correct British answer, which is to say, I'm fine, thanks, Adam. How are you? Shall we practice that together? <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, now, of course, it's, it's obviously not wrong to say that you're fine. I don't want any of you to feel very paranoid now after the service when I ask you how you are and you feel like you have to come up with some other answer. It's fine to say that you're fine. The problem, I think, is when we think that's the only answer we're allowed to give. We have to say we're fine even if things are very much not fine. We feel like we need to pretend. We need to pretend that things are fine even when they're not. And we can come to church feel like we need to pretend we can't admit that we're struggling or finding things hard because after all God loves us what more do we want and so we can pretend or even we can come to God in prayer we don't want to let on to God that we're struggling at the moment we feel like he'll be disappointed in us if we admit that we're finding things hard so we just say Lord yes everything's fine at the moment I'm fine and we can pretend. But as we come to Habakkuk today, we find in Habakkuk a very different example of trusting God when things are not fine. Habakkuk doesn't pretend. Habakkuk is very honest. And he comes to God with questions and groans, and struggles. This honest faith that comes to God with these questions, and groans, and struggles. And I want to look at Habakkuk and what he says to the Lord, and what he hears from the Lord today, and see what we can learn about trusting God in difficult times, whatever those difficult times are, what it looks like to trust God in those difficult times. So let's look at Habakkuk firstly, and then we'll think about what we can learn from him. And as we meet Habakkuk here at the beginning of this book, it's very clear that he's not pretending that everything is fine. He's very vocal about that. As he speaks to the Lord, he comes with two questions. The question, how long? And the question, why? The question, how long, in verse 2, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. How long? 
And then we get the why question. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Habakkuk is looking around himself in Judah. And he sees violence and destruction and sin and injustice. We're not given a a date as we are in some of the other prophetic books, but it seems that Habakkuk was speaking in the reign of Jehoiakim. Now, before King Jehoiakim, you had King Josiah, who's a good king. King Jehoiakim, not a good king, a reign of injustice. And Habakkuk sees this injustice around him. And the worst thing about it is that God apparently isn't listening. He keeps crying out and nothing seems to change. And maybe Habakkuk could think back in the history of his people to the Exodus, God's people in slavery in Egypt, in an oppressive slavery. And in their slavery, they cried out to the Lord. And what happened? The Lord rescued them. He brought them out of slavery with a mighty hand. And you can imagine Habakkuk thinking, where is that God now? Where's the Lord of the Exodus now? How long, Lord? Why? Maybe you can feel at this point that you can connect with Habakkuk. Maybe feeling like you keep crying out to God and nothing seems to happen. And you wonder if he's even listening. Whether crying out about some personal situation in your lives, and I I don't know most of you, so I don't know what those situations would be. Maybe you're crying out about something in your life or in the life of a loved one at the moment. Or maybe it's just seeing injustice around us in society and you cry out. Or maybe thinking about the persecuted church as I've prayed for earlier, that each year open doors release their world watch list and it doesn't get any shorter and you cry out to the Lord and nothing seems to change. Maybe we could listen to the Lord's answer as Habakkuk comes with these questions, how long and why? And the Lord's answer from verse 5, the Lord says that he will act but not in the way Habakkuk was hoping and not in the way that Habakkuk was expecting. Verse 5, Nathaniel read this verse earlier. It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. That sounds great. And he goes on, for behold, I'm raising up. And who is he raising up? Is this going to be a new King Josiah who will reign with justice? Is this going to be a new great prophet like Elijah from the past? A new Moses? Who is it that God is raising up? He says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. We might know them better as the Babylonians. They came from Babylon. I'll call them the Babylonians. And for Habakkuk, hearing those words, it feels very much like a case of the cure being worse than the disease. Because if you thought that there was sin and violence and injustice in Judah, wait till you hear about the Babylonians. 
That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. They are, they are a law to themselves. They all come for violence, saw their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. You can imagine being on a sandy beach and you pick up a handful of sand. Thousands of grains of sand you've picked up effortlessly. And that's what the Babylonians are like when they come sweeping through, gathering these captives. They sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. The Lord says he will act by bringing this bitter and hasty nation in judgment. And Habakkuk, understandably, finds that a hard answer to understand. He finds that a difficult answer to swallow. And he's honest about that. He doesn't pretend. He doesn't say to the Lord, okay, yeah, that, that's fine. He comes back again to the Lord with the same two questions. How long and why? We get the why question in verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong... Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow us up, the man more righteous than he? Why, Lord? You are the perfect, pure God. Why are you silent? Why do you stand by? And then we get the how long question from verse 15, where you have the image of the Babylonians being like fishermen who bring up these other nations with a hook, dragging them with a net, gathering them in this dragnet, Verse 17, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Babylonians gather people in their net, empty the net and go back for more again and again and again. How long, Lord? Why? And the Lord does answer. We're not going to look at the next bit of his answer this morning. We're going to stand with Habakkuk as he waits for an answer to come from the Lord which is a situation perhaps that we feel that we're often in, <laughs> waiting, waiting, waiting. As we stand with Habakkuk this morning, I think there are two lessons for us. As we think about what it looks like to trust God in difficult times in our lives, or when we see darkness around us in the world, two lessons from Habakkuk this morning. The first lesson we don't need to hide our struggles and our questions from God. We don't need to pretend that everything is fine when things are not fine. We don't need to hide our struggles and our questions from God. We can bring our struggles and questions to him. Maybe sometimes we can, we can have these, these questions, these doubts, these struggles to understand or struggles to trust God and we can come to church on a Sunday and we can look around and think am I the only one here who's struggling <laughs> have you ever felt that like that am I the only one here who's struggling well the answer is no <laughs> and we see even Habakkuk the prophet struggling to understand struggling to trust God and we can think that if we have those questions and those struggles that that means that our faith is deficient. It's not real faith. 
But if we have these questions and struggles because we're trying to make sense of what God has said and how we should live in his world, and we bring those questions to God because we want to understand more of him, that's not a deficient faith, that's a healthy faith. A faith that keeps looking to God. And as we bring our questions and struggles to the Lord, he will listen to us. Just as he did to Habakkuk. And not just Habakkuk. It's not like Habakkuk is the only voice that we find in the Bible who comes with these questions, how long and why. You can go home later and read the Psalms. It'll take you a while, but it'll be worth it. And when you read through the Psalms, lots of the Psalms are what we call Psalms of Lament. Of the psalm writers crying out to the Lord from some kind of situation of suffering or pain or injustice. And we see the psalm writer asking the same questions. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble. See people coming to the Lord with questions and struggles and tears and he listens and he values those words so much that he's preserved them in his word in the Bible. And it's not just something that we find in the Old Testament because when we come to the New Testament we see that Jesus comes and makes these words his own when Jesus, God's son, came into this world, he prayed the Psalms as his prayer book. And in the letter to the Hebrews, we hear a description of Jesus' prayer life. We read, in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Prayer life of Jesus. Offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears thinking particularly of his experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, looking ahead to his death, that agonizing death on the cross, and all the darkness that came with it. And as he spoke to his Father in heaven, in that garden, looking ahead to the darkness of the cross, he doesn't say to his Father, everything's fine. He says in the garden, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he says to his father in heaven, if possible, let this cup pass from me, if there's any other way. He does go on to say, not my will, but your will be done. He shows that perfect trust in his father in heaven, but it's a trust that comes through struggles and cries and tears and groans and then when Jesus was dying on the cross and facing that darkness he quoted a psalm and out of all of the psalms that he could have quoted and all of the statements from all of the psalms that he could have quoted what does he quote on the cross a question and a question beginning with the word why my God my God, why have you forsaken me? And today for us as followers of Jesus, we'll sometimes find it hard 
to understand, to trust God, to keep walking in obedience, sometimes we will struggle. And we, we know that Jesus has risen from the dead. And if you didn't know that, that's good news for you this morning. Jesus has risen from the dead. And through him, we can have new life with God, a life of joy and peace as his spirit fills us and works in us. And we know that one day soon, Jesus will return. We've sung about that, and that will be a day of great joy. But then we look around us, the suffering in our lives, injustice in the world, Christians across the world being violently persecuted year after year after year after year, and surely we find ourselves asking, how long, Lord? Why? And we can safely bring all of those questions to God, knowing that he hears us, just as he heard Habakkuk. I recently heard someone put it like this, and I don't have their name, so you'll have to Google it and find their name. But they said, we don't need to bottle it up because God invites us to pour it out. I like that. We often feel like we need to bottle it up and pretend that everything's okay. We don't need to bottle it up because God invites us to pour it out, to come to him and pour out our struggles and our tears and our questions. And Habakkuk is an invitation for us to be honest with God about what we're struggling with. He won't be disappointed in us. He won't tell us to go away and pull ourselves together. He'll listen. That's the thing we can learn from Habakkuk today. We don't need to hide our struggles and questions from God. There's something else we can learn as well. As we look at Habakkuk's example of trusting God in difficult times, through all of his questions and all of his complaints and all of his struggles, notice how he holds on to what he does know. There's lots that he doesn't know and lots that he doesn't understand. And that's where his questions come from. But he holds on to what he does know, to what he does know about the Lord. He holds on to that through all of his questions. And we get three names for God in verse 12 at the start of Habakkuk's second complaint. Three names that he uses to address God. O Lord my God, my Holy One, and you, O Rock. Lord my God, the Holy One, the Rock. These three names that Habakkuk holds on to as he has these questions. And in one way, I imagine these names give him even more questions about why God's not uh, doing what he expects him to do. But ultimately, these are names that fill him with confidence and hope, mean that he can keep patiently trusting, uh, mean that at the end of the book, he can say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. And the great is that God doesn't change. We've seen that lesson this morning. God doesn't change. And so the God who is with us is also the Lord our God, the Holy One, the Rock. And we can cling to those three same names 
in difficult, dark times as well. When we struggle and have questions and can't understand what God is doing, we know that this is the Lord our God, the Holy One, the Rock. That when we cry out in our suffering, we're not just crying out into the void, we're crying out to the Lord our God. The Lord is is a special kind of personal name of God. That's why we find it in the Old Testament in small capital letters it's a name he used during the exodus when he brought his people out of slavery in egypt and when we say that this is the lord my god or the lord our god well we remember that he's personally invested in us personally invested in you he's called us and he loves us and in our sufferings he sees us and knows us and cares about us. She's the Lord our God. And when we cry out in our suffering, we're also crying out to the Holy One, the one who is perfect, the one who's untainted by all of the injustice and sin and violence of this world, the one whose plans are always good and right and true. They may not always feel like that, but he's the Holy One. So we can trust that they are. And when we cry out in our suffering, we're crying out to the rock. The one who gives his people a refuge, a place of spiritual safety and security. Whatever storms come, we can hide in the rock and be safe. From generation to generation, he is the rock, the Holy One, the Lord our God. And if that's who the Lord is, then when we ask how long, we can trust that the answer is always not much longer. When we ask how long, the answer is always not much longer. Whatever kind of darkness we experience now, or whatever darkness we see in the world around us now, if we don't see an end to that darkness this year, or next year, or the year after, we will see an end to that darkness on the day when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back to bring perfect justice, and complete joy, and eternal relief for all who love him. And God is at work in this world now to bring transformation and change to all kinds of situations in our lives and in the world. But for those times when we're still waiting, we know that one day all that darkness will end forever for all of God's people. And that's, that's why he went through that darkness on the cross. That there on the cross he was facing the darkness of the judgment that we deserve so he can lead us to eternal light. That that all of us, the Bible tells us, deserve to face judgment because we failed to live the good and right and holy and just lives that we were made for. We're all guilty of what the Bible calls sin. And we're guilty of that in a whole range of different ways. And we deserve to face the darkness of judgment. But there on the cross, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, stepped into our place, faced that darkness for us, so we can be forgiven 
so we can have new life with God, so we can have a share in that glorious eternal light he's prepared for his people. Leading us today when there'll be all injustice, an end to all sin, an end to all opposition against God, an end to all violence and destruction, an end even to death. That's the hope we can hold on to, whatever darkness we face, because the Lord who is with us is the Lord our God, the Holy One, the Rock. And this morning, Jesus is holding out that hope to us, to you. And many of you have come to Jesus and are trusting in him for the future. But it could be that you're here this morning and you need to come to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've been coming to church for weeks or months or even for years but you haven't actually come to Jesus. Maybe you've been coming to church but haven't come to Jesus asking that he would forgive you, admitting that you've sinned as we all have, recognising he's the only answer to our sin, asking that he would give you his forgiveness, to give you new life with God. Maybe today you need to come to Jesus for the first time to find that new life, that new life of trusting him, whatever darkness we face, whatever we experience. Come to Jesus and to find that hope that he holds out, the hope of eternal life, that hope of an end to all sin, to all injustice and all suffering, that hope that we can share because of Jesus. If you've not yet come to Jesus to find that hope for yourself, today would be a great day to come. And if you want to know what that would look like, then I'd be very happy to chat to you afterwards, as would Nathaniel, and to tell you more about how you can come to find that hope for yourself. And those who have come to Jesus and are trusting in him, and you face those moments where it's hard, and you have all these questions... We keep holding on to what we do know. This is the Lord our God who knows us and loves us. And is leading us to that glorious eternity. So these two lessons from God in those difficult, dark times in our lives. And a reminder that our faith is not about everything being fine or pretending everything's fine about knowing that there's someone we can go to when things are not fine. When things are not fine, we can come to the Lord and we can bring all of our pain and our tears, all of our questions and struggles, we can bring them safely to him. He's not going to be ashamed of us for asking these questions. He's not going to be disappointed in us for struggling. He's going to listen to us because he cares and he loves us. And as we come to him, we can hold on to what we know about him. The Lord our God, the Holy One, the Rock. Whatever answers we see or don't see now, he remains. The Lord our God, the Holy One, the Rock. We remember that as we cry out in our suffering, whatever that suffering looks like for you at the moment, whatever suffering you are particularly 
concerned about in the world around us. When we cry out in our suffering, we remember that we're crying out to a Lord who loves us, 